I sat in that chair today and I felt the love in this congregation. I did. And I am so thankful for this congregation. What it does, what it means, and how much uh, we all mean to each other. And today, I'm going to kind of it kind of talk about change. It kind of fell right in. I wasn't planning on coming up until I heard a song on the radio. Uh, I do listen to the pop station. Why this song was on the pop station, I don't know, because it is a Christian con contemporary song. And it hit me. And it said, the song says everything, everything that I have went through. I've been depressed all my life. I've been diagnosed with clinical depression and seasonal depression. And so I am on meds, which helps, because I have a little, if I'm not on my meds, I will have a little bit of bipolar along with that. So I do take a antidepressant. Last year, last winter, was about the worst winter I've ever went through as far as depression goes. And I didn't even want to get out of bed. It, it was an effort to get out of bed. And I was feeling worthless. And why am I here? And I was thinking about suicide. I had it all planned out, how I was going to do it, and it would be done. And my two thoughts were, and this goes along with depression, my two thoughts were, I'm worthless, and they'd be better off without me. One night, I was in bed, and I thought, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go to the kitchen, and I'm going to do it. And then I'm going to go back to bed, and I will never wake up. But something held me down. I got scared. So I went to my primary care probably the next day and um, told her what, what was going on. She upped my antidepressant a little bit. Plus, she said I needed to go to a counselor. So I went to a counselor, a psychologist in, in, uh, in Defiance. And I, was, I went to her the, uh, the good part of last year. And the two things that, the, two, the thing that stuck out, that stuck out for me most and got me to really, really thinking about, wait a minute, you are being so selfish, was when a person does that, when a person commits suicide, 
the survivors, the loved ones, sometimes never get over that because they say, why? Why did that person do that? And they say, what did I do to cause this? What did I do wrong? What could have I done to help? And that really got me. That got me thinking outside of myself. So about the song. It's, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to read it. And this song will stay with me probably forever. And um, the song is called You Say by Lauren Daigle. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. The only thing that matters now is everything you think of me. If in you I find my worth, in you I find my identity. Talking, taking all I have and now I'm laying, at your, laying it at your feet. You, you have every failure, God. You have every failure, God. You have every victory. You say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. You say I am healed when I am falling short. When I don't belong, you say I am yours. And I believe, I believe what you say of me, I believe. Hang on to that. Hang on to the Lord. He loves us. He had his son die for us. And he is, he is the answer. He is the answer. Believe in yourself. And if you know any kid that's having a problem, help that kid. There was an 11-year-old last week that committed suicide he was bullied so watch your children be aware of what's going on thank you okay up until a few years ago only the geekiest comic book lovers like myself had heard of the Guardians of the Galaxy. I sat through the movie and I thought, wow, this is the geekiest thing America has ever liked. And I was like, happy about it. It went on to be the number one grossing movie that year in 2014. And even those who don't read comic books in this room, you would know Spider-Man and Superman and Captain America and the Avengers. But the Guardians, they were just this obscure, group that only the geekiest of the geeks knew about until the movie. The movie tells the story of this ragtag group that you saw in that video who must band together in order to save the universe. And none of them had grandiose aspirations to be saviors. As the video showed, they were mostly outlaws, misfits. 
The galaxy had written them off as the lost, as a burden. They were cast out, common criminals. But these five lost and broken misfits found each other, and they found a mission bigger than themselves that required them to come together and work together to accomplish something bigger than the selfish endeavors they were pursuing. Because if you look at the Avengers, you've got Iron Man and Captain America, and, and or if you look at the Justice League, you get Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman. They're all clean cut. They're made to be heroes. They have it all together. That's what we think heroes are all about. And sadly, when we think that's what heroes are about, then that excludes you, and that excludes me, because none of us are like them. We may put on a good front at times for each other, but the reality is we struggle. We fail. Sometimes we barely hold it together. And you know what? That's okay. I want to get that message out there and keep coming back to it through the sermon here, but it's okay. If you feel like a failure, if you feel like life is always a struggle, if you feel like you have been written off by society, by family, by whoever, it's okay. Because that's not the end of your story. God has more in store for you. You have a purpose, even if you feel like a misfit. Because we are imperfect people following a perfect God, stumbling all the time, sometimes in the right direction, often in the wrong direction, meandering about, trying to find our way, trying to hear what God wants us to do. Sometimes we're full of joy, running and leaping in the right direction, and sometimes we're running in the completely wrong direction, and sometimes we're just weeping. But we're always if you're part of the church here, surrounded by others who love you and we're filled with God's abundant grace if we allow him to pour it on us. Because the message of the gospel centers around this joyful premise. God accepts and uses misfits. God accepts and uses the outcast. Listen to what Paul said. He says it kind of about you and me. And the person sitting next to you and across from you and all over here. Paul wrote this. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Reminds me of the Beatitude, too, where blessed are the weak, blessed are the poor in spirit. God's kingdom is for those who are misfits. And the beautiful thing is God chose you. The early church was not made up of superheroes. It wasn't the Avengers and the Justice League of the time. According to Paul, they weren't the brightest and the best. They just weren't. They weren't Captain America. They weren't Iron Man. They weren't Wonder Woman. No Superman to be found. 
And that's exactly how God wanted it. If you were somebody, you became part of the Roman religions of the day. You paid your membership dues, you joined the elite clubs, you received your status, your special perks. But for most of the poor and the powerless, they couldn't do that. Those who weren't born into wealth and privilege, that wasn't an option. And the welcoming of the misfits is part of what helped the church to flourish when it began. It was a place for the outcast of society, the people that nobody said could belong. The church said, you're all welcomed here, Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. He said, you're welcome. It was a place for the misfits, for the not good enoughs, for the people, whoever they were, who said, I'm willing to surrender to Jesus and his plan for this world, and I'm going to become part of this family, the church. Despite not sharing blood, they chose to carry one another along in life. If I was going to assemble my super team, whose purpose it was to change the world, I would not have chosen the disciples. Because the disciples were misfits too. If you read through the Gospels, it's more of almost like the story of the Three Stooges than it is about the Justice League of America going to change the world. Jesus choosing them goes against every leadership book that you can find. He probably should have read some John Maxwell or Stephen Covey or, before he chose his disciples, but he didn't. Because those books teach us to, like, if you're a leader, you need to surround yourself with solid, capable leaders. But Jesus kind of did the opposite. He surrounded himself with misfits, malcontents, and knuckleheads. And when you read the Gospels, the disciples come off just as ridiculously stupid, dense. Like, why aren't you getting it, Jesus is constantly telling them. And he tells them what they're supposed to get, and they still don't get it. So when Paul says God chose the foolish and the weak and the lowly and the things that are not, we should perk up and have hope. That's the original disciples. That's me. That's you. I have a friend who took his church group to a big summer conference years back. And as a church, they teamed up with another local church and one of the kids from the other local church's youth group desperately needed a win in life. He had been going through some major issues in his life. And my friend's guess was that outside a youth group, this kid didn't have anybody that liked him. It would be very safe to assume that in most settings, this kid was a social outcast. And just as an aside, that is who we are, too, in a way. A, like the youth group. We're like that youth group. A place that accepts and loves outcasts. I remember around eight years ago, we had some of the very popular kids coming on Wednesday nights to our youth group here, to the kids program. We had a break in the kids program. If you're wondering, like, we just started kids program. We had it before. But um, we also had a totally unpopular kid from a very poor family coming also. And the popular kids started picking on that unpopular kid during the kids ministry. So I pulled the leader of the bullies back out that way. And I explained to him that this isn't okay. You know, that person might be picked on at school, and you might pick on that person at school, but here at church, we don't pick on people. We love people, and we accept them, and we encourage them. And you know what happened? 
The popular kid left after youth group or the kids' ministry that night and never came back to church. And it breaks my heart. But I will run popular people out who aren't okay with mingling with the misfits because the church needs to be the place where those who aren't loved are loved. Back to my friend's church summer group trip, though. On Tuesday night, the conference hosted this talent show. There were some incredible acts. I mean, you get 900 kids together, you got some talent. Between Taylor Swifties. Taylor Swift-esque talent between some comedy people, between people reading their poems. The talent of the kids, my friend said, was incredible. Then there was this boy, the misfit. He signed up to be part of the talent show. And as my friend said, he said, if I'm honest, I thought, dude, don't do that to yourself. You don't want to get up in front of all those people. All the eyes will be on you, and you're setting yourself up for failure. The boy's talent was, you've heard the illustration before, some of you, what's the boy's talent? Rubik's Cube, right? You guys are good. He was a master of the Rubik's Cube. No one questioned that. The fact that he could complete the thing was impressive enough. How many here can do the Rubik's Cube? Sort of even. Well, this kid could complete the Rubik's Cube blindfolded and behind his back. That was his talent. Pretty, pretty impressive. My friend asked him, though, how will you know when the colors line up? And he said, I just memorized the pattern. You can tell why he was a misfit. My friend didn't see how he could succeed, though. He was the second act. The host messed up the Rubik's Cube, and the boy sat off stage studying the cube, tapping it, staring at it, not twisting it yet. So it was his turn, though, at the talent show. He put the bag over his head to do it, blindfolded, or bag-headed, and then he put his hands behind the back with his Rubik's Cube. No way, the crowd shouted. It would have been easily the most impressive act of the night. The audience watched in silence as the hands tapped and twisted with the Rubik's Cube behind his back. The video, because it's a big conference, had a camera showing the Rubik's Cube on the big screen. Time counted down, and he failed. He didn't complete the Rubik's Cube. The host, you know, because nobody wants him to fail, gives him extra time. He still couldn't complete the Rubik's Cube. The poor kid who needed a victory got defeat in front of 900 people. You know, the crowd applause, but you know what that applause would be like, the sympathy applause. And the kid just walked off the stage defeated. After the talent contest was over, my friend and him walked back to the dorm together. My friend asked him, how are you doing? He said, not good. I feel like that was my one chance and I failed. It was one of those moments in a kid's life that could have been like a huge confidence boost, a victory that he needs in order to develop into who he's called to be, and yet he failed. Now, fast forward to the last night of the conference. The director was on stage at the beginning of the night and said, I feel like we need to set something right tonight. I feel like we were close to seeing something amazing and just missed it. Is the Rubik's Cube kid here? He was. The director asked, do you have the Rubik's Cube with you? Of course he did. 
And then the director said, of course you do. Come on up here. We want to give you a second chance. The director interviewed the boy and asked him what he needed to make it happen. The boy said complete silence. The director and the audience obliged, but it got really awkward after a while. The director asked the boy if he was close. He wasn't. It got even more awkward. So the director transitioned into doing offering, and the boy just sat there studying that Rubik's Cube. After offering, the director asked the boy if he needed more time. He did, still. So the boy sat next to the drums to memorize the Rubik's Cube as worship started then. And then he interviewed the speaker and all this while the kid is just studying that Rubik's Cube. The moment of truth, though, eventually arrived. He had to get up and try to do what he claimed he could do. So the boy stood, turned around, put the bag over his head again, placed his hands behind his back. The video camera again zoomed in on his hands holding that Rubik's Cube on the big screen for everyone to see. And my friend said you could hear a pin drop amongst 900 teenagers which is amazing because 900 teenagers are never quiet. And the misfit who tragically failed in front of many of them just a few days before this stood before 900 completely silent people with the Rubik's Cube behind his back with a bag over his head. And everyone, as you could imagine, was pulling for this kid. Like, they wanted victory for this kid. We all kind of want that. We all want one another to succeed in life, right? And the kid nailed it. In 40 seconds, he accomplished what he failed to do the night before. The boy completed the Rubik's Cube blindfolded and behind his back in front of all the kids at the conference. And the audience erupted, standing ovation, clapping, cheering, whistling. His success was celebrated. He got high fives on the way back to his seat. He was given a second chance and he was redeemed and he had that victory he desperately needed. And in that moment, we see what church is supposed to be like. When we work together as brothers and sisters, we fail. Sometimes we try to do the Rubik's Cube and we utterly fail. But then we get back up and we get another chance. And heck, you might fail 10, 20 times. But we still get back up. We get another chance. Like we're all cheering for one another. We're all encouraging one another. That's what church is supposed to be about. So we work together with Christ to redeem those who desperately need second chances in life. We help others when they are down. And the same is here at church for you. When the world rejects you, when you feel like a misfit, if you shut out the world and you let the Holy Spirit speak to you, you will hear the Holy Spirit say, you are mine I choose you. I believe in you. That's God's message for all of us. That's his great love, his great acceptance. No matter what you've done, no matter how the world tells you you're worthless, we are still God's treasured children. Though we may feel like we are the least, and the world treats us like that too, we are called to join in God's mission of saving this world. We often feel like that kid walking back to the dorm, defeated. We often feel like a failure. But when you join God's team, the church, we carry each other through life's hard times. 
perfection and awesomeness, despite some of you having awesomeness, is not required to be part of the church. We're more like the Guardians of the Galaxy than we are the Avengers or the Justice League. We're just a bunch of misfits working together to do what God has called us to do. And God entrusts us with the mission, with the task of finishing the mission that Jesus started. Oddly, thankfully God didn't read the John Maxwell books because God believes in us. God believes in you. God accepts and empowers you. When everyone else, or maybe just your wrong inner voice, when, when, when those people or voices tell us that we are worthless, that we're a failure, that we're not worthy, God tells us, no, I choose you. You can believe the lies, the attacks, or you can believe God. And your life is way better when you choose to believe God. But God doesn't expect us to do it alone, and that's the beauty of it. We're here to remind each other of this all the time. We're to encourage one another. We're here to say, yeah, you messed up, but God chooses you. God loves you. So it's there at that chasm of despair that we find ourselves sometimes at, like Sue described it so well today for her, where you don't feel good enough where you don't feel like you fit in anywhere, that chasm of hopelessness, the chasm of meaninglessness, where the great villain seems to be winning and you feel defeated, no reason to continue, it's there in that dark moment. It's there where you feel like there is no path forward. It's there when you feel like all is lost because that's what the chasm does. The evil one does, and he's good at it, tells you that all you have done up to this moment is pointless, wasted, ruined, tells you that you're not qualified. You don't have the right credentials to do what you're called to do. And you know what? You may not be qualified, and you may not have the credentials. You may not be the perfect superhero. And God says, that's okay. I still chose you. You know, my friend actually who shares this story, Mike Fabian, he'll actually be preaching here later this year. He, uh, we went on a mission trip, and he's better than me at soccer, but he has cerebral palsy and he has a limp. But I'm, well, at that time, I might have been more in shape. Um, and he, uh, so he's got cerebral palsy. He's a better soccer player, but we got together with a bunch of Hondurans and we were playing soccer. And I get picked like halfway through. He gets picked last because he has cerebral palsy. He has a limp. But you know what? God doesn't care. God picks us in our faults and he says, I'm going to use you. He can see that you're better than the guy that looks like he's in shape. Because God chose the weak, God chose the foolish, God chose the powerless, God chose the misfits, he chose the boy with the Rubik's Cube, he chose me, he chose you. And you know all those faults running through your head maybe right now? Like, God wouldn't choose me if he knew my faults. That's really dumb thinking. Because God knows your faults, God knows my faults, God knows the secrets you haven't shared, And he still says, I choose you. And that is why I 
and this church will always stand by you to encourage you, to help you. I think I operate from this principle that we're all here because we want to be closer to God. That's the only reason you give up a time slot on Sunday morning to come to church. You want to be closer to God. It's not like we're a big church where you're making networking connections in order to be able to sell your Amway. Or whatever you're selling. I hope nobody here sells Amway. But that's not why we exist. You all come here because you want to grow closer to God. And we need to recognize that in each other. We might fail. We might be total jerks at times and mess things up. But when we see each other, we know that person wants to be closer to God and we're going to help them get there. And it is in responding to God's call and seeking what he wants us to do that we find true meaning. So in a way, we're just helping each other find our true meaning. And it is there for each one of us to grasp and saying yes to God's beautiful and irrational call when everything tells us we're not worthy, we're worthless, we're all these bad things. God's saying, I got a plan for you. I choose you. And then you will go down that path less traveled, the path less taken, the path of hope, the path of life, the path of salvation to yourself and to this world. And down that barely perceived path, meaning is found. One's true purpose is found. One's team is found. It is no wonder that when we want, or that, that we then want to go back to people who are standing at their own chasm and then say to them, this way, come this way. This way is life. The broken are fixed. The hopeless are given hope. The despair is shaped and transformed into beauty and purpose. All is not lost. It's just the beginning of being found. And so we go to those standing at their own chasm and try to show them Jesus. Show them God's path. The path we have chosen to go down. Because God does not need you to be Superman. He just needs you to be you, striving to be the best you, letting him guide you and shape you into something better. And when you make mistakes, mistakes and when you sin, as we all do, as the guardians of the galaxy constantly did too, as you live out the misfit life following Jesus, remember, you are God's chosen misfit. God's special and wonderful misfit. He picked you for his team. You are loved by him always and forever. At this time, um, Raleigh and Deanna will be up here if you need prayer. Um, and I asked the praise team if they would do it again, do it again, do it again. I don't know. Anyway, that song they did, the Do It Again song, I said, that fits. We're going to sing that song after the sermon because really it's the message of this sermon and God is good. So let's pray. And then, Father, I thank you for this band of misfits who I mean, we love one another. And I just pray that as we continue to go through life, we'll be an encouragement to one another, help each other get over obstacles that will come because they come. Life's not perfect. We're not perfect. And I just pray that you would just um, help us to see the directions we need to go down. 
And when we stumble, I just pray that you would provide others to help us back up. I thank you for the beauty of church when it's done well. I thank you for the beauty of Jesus and I don't know, him, just him loving us. I pray that we would just let that overflow from us to one another here and to the world around us. In your name we pray. Amen.